What's up, my nerds? This is Jesse Mercury. This week is a very special episode of my podcast. I am alone. I just had some things I really wanted to talk about. Uh, I didn't sit down to talk with anyone this week because I'm working on the Howard the Duck podcast, but it's Father's Day, and as promised, I have to put something out and talk about my dad. So that was really important to me, and I thought while I'm doing that, there's a bunch of shit that I haven't had the chance to talk about on the show that I wanted to talk to you about. So this is a conversation between you and me. You all listening, and me, myself, and I. How are you? Are you good? I hope you're good. Uh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. So, uh, so we got a bunch of shit to talk about. It's coming up right after this. Here we go. Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury, a show about the communal experience of loving science fiction. All about what it means, what it feels like to love this genre and have it be such a big part of our lives and shape the way we think about the universe. Fuck yeah. So I got some shit that we got to talk about. First of all, I, I am just devastated to learn this morning that Anton Yelchin, who plays Chekhov in the new J.J. Abrams movies, was found dead this morning. He was found at 1 a.m. by friends who were alarmed when he didn't show up to a rehearsal You've probably heard about this by now, but uh, he was pinned between his car and a mailbox on his own property on a, on a steep incline. The car was running. Uh, who knows what happened, but somehow the car ran down the hill and pinned him, and he passed away, and it's devastating news. So close to the release of Star Trek Beyond to have one of the main characters pass away in such a tragic fashion is just so upsetting. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my heart goes out to his family, and I'm just... It's going gonna, it's gonna to be so poignant to watch him in this movie now, knowing that he just passed away so young. He was 27. This reminds me so much of when The Dark Knight came out and Heath Ledger had just passed away right before that film happened. Oh, man, it's just a, such a strange thing, such a spooky thing to, to have someone who we're about to go see on the big screen, who all of us are about to go see in this new Star Trek movie, just to know when we watch Chekhov that he's not around anymore. It's going to be so sad. I... No matter how, what you think about the J.J. version of the Star Trek universe, I loved Anton Yelchin as, as Chekhov. I thought he was fantastic. His humor in the first movie in particular was something that I really latched onto in the film. It was a very different take on Chekhov than what we saw in the original series, but a, but a really fun take. I felt like they kind of got the spirit of the character, even though they didn't look that similar. The accent was very different. You know, he's got that curly hair. Uh, it still felt like the same character to me, and that's what matters. That's why I liked the the first JJ reboot so much. Is that the essence of those characters was all there, and you know Anton Yelchin definitely succeeded in bringing Chekhov back to life. So who knows what this means to the future of the franchise? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Um, I do not want to see another actor take the part. I don't know why. It's just you know. I'm very, I've always been that way. I've always been very dedicated to the actors that I've seen in certain roles. I'm not wild about recasting people. I feel like there's generally a way around it. There's generally a way to write something in a different direction so that that character um, has either passed away themselves or just gone off on some other adventure. 
Um, I don't watch the Fast and the Furious franchise, but apparently, like, Paul Walker, they CG'd him riding off into the sunset in the end of Fast and the Furious 7 because he passed away before they were making the eighth one. And I thought that was great. I thought that was a really cool send-off to the character, send-off to the actor. I really appreciated the fact that they did not try to bring the Joker back into The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, apparently that was the origin, original idea. They were going to bring the Joker back, but they decided not to do that in the end because Heath Ledger had passed away. So out of respect to the actor, I hope that uh, Chekhov... I, I feel weird saying this. I hope that Chekhov does not come back in the fourth Star Trek movie if they even make a fourth Star Trek movie. I mean, the future of that J.J. franchise is very much up in the air anyway. I mean, who knows what's going to happen after Star Trek Beyond. But man, oh, Anton Yelchin, so sad to lose you. And I, you know... It's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's gonna be hard to watch. It's gonna be hard to watch the new one, and knowing because I'm sure he's gonna be so great in it. He's always been this point of light in those movies. So it will, you know. What can I say other than you will be missed? Speaking of the JJ universe, uh, big news came out of the JJ universe. It's, I'm a little late to this party, but you know we covered this story on several episodes of the podcast, so I definitely want to touch on it here. We talked a lot about the lawsuit that was brought against the people who were making Star Trek Axanar, a fan-funded film where they raised over a million dollars trying to uh, get this film off the ground. CBS filed a lawsuit against them because they said that, you know, you're making money. You can't do that. It's our intellectual property. And it's all been this kind of gray area because it's it's fan-funded. And there's something very personal to me as someone who has a Patreon account and hopes to someday make a living off of podcasting and doing art and all this sort of creative stuff. I'd love to be able to fan-fund myself a living. That would be fantastic. I wouldn't have to have this day job anymore where I lease apartments and I'd spent all my time making music, all my time doing this. So that's something that really hit close to home for me when I heard that CBS was suing them because, you know, like Sci-Fi on Trial, I use music from all the movies that I am you know, having these debates about. On this show, I've used music from Deep Space Nine. I've used uh, all, all sorts of things. I mean, the Simpsons theme song, I, I just like to throw in whatever seems to fit in that episode because these episodes are free. That's part of the beauty of podcasting is that you make something for free. Uh, you put it out there and everyone can have it. If they enjoy it and they want to support you, they can. But if they just want to uh, listen, they can. I It's it's art for the world. And uh, it's it's something for the world to enjoy. And that's part of what really you know, boosts me when I do this is that I'm just making something that's out there. Other people can hear it. I love that. And if I want to talk about Star Trek, I don't want to have to be worried about censoring myself about what is and isn't okay to say because of intellectual property. It would completely destroy the whole podcasting experience. So when I heard about this lawsuit, I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, like what's next? If you're not allowed to make fan films, what's next? And I know that it seems like you're selling something when you put something up for crowdsourcing, but you're not. What you're doing is you're saying, I have this idea and this is something that I want to do. If you think this is a good idea, then give me a couple bucks, I'll make it happen. That it's, it's, it's a gray area. It's this weird point that we're at in society right now in like pop culture society where it allows things to be made that wouldn't be made otherwise. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's a wonderful thing. And I want everyone who has those ideas, who has the funding, who has the support to be able to do whatever the fuck they want. I really, truly believe that. And sure, like you can't release, there has to be rules somewhere. You can't release a big budget film called Star Trek, um, like, I don't know, called Star Trek Stegosaurus Five. I don't know, where you put dinosaurs and start, oh, that's a great idea. I want to do that. But you shouldn't be able to release that in a big budget cinema like experience without having the okay, without having the go ahead from the people who own Star Trek. Yes, absolutely not. Of course not. 
But if you want to make something with your friends and you want to have other people crowdsource it, then fuck yeah, I'm all about it. I like having that division. I like having that gray area because it gives me the option if I ever want to do something like that, I can. It's not like I, I you know, will at this point besides the podcasting, but I like, the, I like it being out there. I like that. And I like it for the fan community because I know so many cool people in the fan community who are making cool things and I want their imaginations to be unfettered. So, so this was very personal to me. And of course, last time uh, we talked about Next Generation on the show with Ian, Audrey, and Kayla. Ian was telling us about some of the things that some of the people behind Axonar were doing and it was kind of shitty. I'm like, oh shit, maybe I don't want to support these guys. But you don't have to support the individuals to still be behind the idea that fan films are important. They are a vital, vital part of of fan culture. Man, can you imagine what would happen if we weren't allowed to make fan films anymore? Like, even just me as a kid, just uh, making little stop-motion things with my Star Wars action figures. Um, If I wanted to do something like that, Uh, just for release on a small scale and maybe raise a couple hundred bucks to do it. I could definitely see the future in which that's not allowed and that's not cool. Wow, that got, that turned into a speech. Holy shit. Um, Anyway, the good news is that J.J. Abrams and Justin Lin, the director of Star Trek Beyond, the new Star Trek movie, they decided that this was not the way to go. They urged the big brass at CBS to drop the lawsuit because they didn't feel like this was the way to interact with the fans. Brilliant fucking marketing. Brilliant marketing. Because we all heard about the reaction to the first Star Trek Beyond trailer, right? Everyone's like, oh, it's Star Trek Fast and Furious. Everyone was really upset that there's so many uh, motorcycles in it. It's interesting. Motorcycles were a real big point of contention. I, I didn't mind it. I didn't care. Because when you look at the trailer, I was like, all right, they're just trying to market it as something fast and exciting. Sure, that's fine. But I'm sure the movie's going to be different from this. I'm sure there's going to be more to the movie than this. And even if there's not, I'm going to wait to withhold judgment until I see the movie to find out. So let me read this quote from from, uh, J.J. Abrams, because I loved this when I heard this. It it made my day when I woke up and read this online, because I generally spend a while in bed reading shit before I get out of bed in the morning. A few months back, there was a fan film, Axanar, that was getting made, and there was this lawsuit that happened between the studio and these fans, and Justin, I'll tell you the story because he probably wouldn't, was sort of outraged by this as a longtime fan. We started talking about it and realized this was not an appropriate way to deal with the fans. The fans should be celebrating this thing. Fans of Star Trek are part of this world. So he went to the studio and pushed them to stop this lawsuit, and now, within the next few weeks, it will be announced that this is going away and that fans will be able to continue working on their project. I love the way that's worded. I love everything about it. And on top of that, I love the fact that J.J. Abrams is really setting up Justin Lin to be a new hero to the Star Trek fans. Brilliant fucking marketing, because then they released another trailer that was a lot closer to what longtime fans want to see from a Star Trek film. And all of a sudden, we're all just like, man, maybe maybe Justin Lin's got it going on. Maybe this is going to be great. So, yeah, I'm all about it. Fucking great. Really fucking cool. And then this is the, this is the response from the Axonar team. While we're grateful to receive the public support of J.J. Abrams and Justin Lin, as the lawsuit remains pending, we want to make sure we go through all the proper steps to make sure all matters are settled with CBS and Paramount. Our goal from the beginning of this legal matter has been to address the concerns of the plaintiff in a way that still allow us to tell the story of Axanar and meets the expectations of over 10,000 fans who financially supported our project. There is still a lot of work to do, but receiving this kind of public support helps immensely. So yeah, that's the last I've heard about it. I don't know what happened after that. I um, I very much hope that the lawsuit has gone away. I don't necessarily uh, like, like I said, I don't necessarily like the way that the people from Axanar have been kind of going about this. I looked at the countersuit that they tried to file and it was uh, kind of silly. I didn't look at the countersuit. I looked at the news report of it. And it was kind of silly the way that they were kind of trying to fight this whole thing. So 
I don't know. This what what matters to me is the spirit of being a fan. Like that's what I'm all about, right? Communal experience of being a fan. That matters to me a lot. It matters to me that people are able to, you know, put Chewbacca wearing a suit on a pillow and sell it because I want to buy that. And I, uh, the stuff like Robot Chicken Star Wars, and sure they had the blessing from George Lucas on that, but they were doing it before they had his blessing. Uh, all the stuff that really matters to me because it's fun and it's awesome. And it's great. I mean, because like all the like officially licensed stuff that you see for all these different franchises sometimes get a little like gets a little vanilla. I was listening to the Skillshot Pincast and they were talking about uh, the new Hobbit pinball table and what goes into uh, having to. I'm pretty sure I heard this on the Skillshot Pincast. I have the worst memory, guys. If I don't write something down, it's gone. It's gone. That's why podcasting is great for me because I can listen back and be like, did I really say that? I'm a fucking piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I'm pretty sure it was on the Skillshot Pincast. They were talking about the new Hobbit pinball table and how every single piece of art that's on that table had to be approved. It was either t- I either heard this on the Skillshot Pincast or from Kayla directly that every single piece of art had to be approved by the studio. So every des- every step of the design, or maybe it was the Ghostbusters one, every step of the design has to be approved, and it's a really big pain in the ass to get something made. Uh, make and sure I mean that's fine that's all well and good but uh, and I can understand that because they're putting these pinball tables into mass production it's an official thing made by an official company of course you have to officially license that but when I'm looking on Etsy for something that has Star Wars on or like my you know if you've ever seen pictures from inside my apartment I have like my hipster Kirk and my hipster Spock that are wearing their glasses their hipster glasses Um, I just found that on Etsy and I love it I think it's like the coolest piece of pop art that I've ever seen and I love coming home to seeing it and that would never have been made if uh, the fan who made it had to go through the official channels so I'm all about I'm all about fan art man I just love it I mean this podcast if anything is fan art and I yes I just called my podcast art and it's because I had a going back to something happened a few podcasts ago I said that I didn't think podcasts were art I heard from Evan, who I talk about all the time on my show, um, the guy who has done so much for making this show uh, what it is just by getting the word out about it to a bunch of other people. And he he did convince me that podcasting can be art. So, Evan, you convinced me. Um, So I take that back. But anyway, fan shit, guys. It's important to me. And yeah, so Axanar is going to happen. I I really am still excited to see it. Uh, I'm also just more excited for the fact that things like, you know, Star Trek continues and all these other great fan things that are happening can continue. They can keep on going. And even Dead Drift. I just had the guys on the show a couple weeks ago. Both of their ships are named after something from Blade Runner, J.F. Sebastian and Roy Batty. So can you imagine a world in which, you know, you can't throw in those little subtle references to your favorite science fiction in your own science fiction because people are breathing down your neck trying to sue you all the time? I don't want to live in that world. I want to have a little bit of flexibility with my fan fandom. So... Uh, thanks to Justin Lin and J.J. Abrams. It looks like that's going to continue. And sure, they probably did it to try to turn the tide on the fan perspective on what was happening with this new Star Trek movie. But I don't care. Result is great. I'm happy. Happy to see it happen. And who knows? Maybe it was like a genuine reaction from Justin Lin. who's like, I don't want this to be the way that we interact with fans as a studio. And if that's true, I mean, fuck yeah, that's even better. That's great. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter if that's the case or not. But if it is, that's wonderful. Long story short, guys, we're going to have another Star Trek movie in like a month. Can you believe that shit? Uh, Star Trek Beyond is coming out in almost a month. I can't wait. And we had that new trailer that came out recently. Uh, let me pull it up. Let's uh, let's take a look. Okay, Google. Star Trek Beyond trailer. Here is a trailer for Star Trek Beyond. 
I love you, Google. Alright, I'm just holding the phone up. Here we go. Alright, beautiful shot of the ship from the back. Enterprise has a very sexy badonkadonk, don't you think? I like the callback to, uh... Callback to the original JJ movie. See, the trailer's already got, like, a much more somber feel. This summer. It isn't uncommon, you know. It's easy to get lost in the vastness of space. There's only yourself, your ship, your crew. You really want to head back out there, huh? From Justin Lin, the director of Fast and Furious. What the hell is this? Trying to give you the full 3D experience here. There's no way the Enterprise survives this. And producer J.J. Abrams. I know why you're here. Why we are all here. Our captain will come for us. Mercy will be the last thing on his mind. I am counting on it. Yeah, Idris Elba. That shot looks so fake of Scotty jumping up. Is illogical. Off of the thing, off the cliff. Here's my favorite part. Not yet, hold on. Everyone who goes there, he kills. That's our friends out there. We kind of just leave them behind. Surety is not your strength, it's a weakness. I think you're underestimating humanity. There it is. Just the fact that they said the words humanity. <laughs> do it, do it! Beyond. Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> I love her sitting in his chair. He likes that scene. Cool. Yeah, man, I'm pumped about that. Something about uh, just the fact that they said the word humanity in the trailer. I'm like, that's it. Like, that's what we're looking for here. That's what we've been missing from the first two is an examination of humanity. Because, I mean, what is Star Trek if not an examination of humanity? Modern humanity through the lens of future humanity. That's what it's all about. So, man, that looks good to me. It looks really good. I'm really pumped about it. It brought back a lot of feelings that I had when I saw the first uh, JJ reboot in 2009, 2009, which I really, really loved. Um, I felt like if we could just twist this movie just a little bit and add a little bit more of that deeper sci-fi shit to it, then I'd be 100% satisfied. So if that movie, if this movie does that, then great. That'll be wonderful. And when does that movie come out? Let's see here. Okay, Google. When does Star Trek Beyond come out? Star Trek Beyond will be released in United States of America on July 22nd, 2016. Sweet. We're almost exactly a month away. Wow, that's going to be great. Man, oh, seeing Anton Yelchin in that trailer made me really sad. But that's okay. I'm also really excited. You know, we got to celebrate celebrate his his work because he's not here to give us any more. It doesn't mean that we can't celebrate his work. If anything, it means we should celebrate it more. Um, just because, man, life is precious and short. Moving on. 
Today, I listened to a podcast that I really, really loved that I wanted to tell you all about. It's called Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, sponsored by Wired Magazine. And the episode I listened to was about Trekonomics, which is, of course, the economics of Star Trek. So yeah, that caught my interest. So it's episode 205, uh, Manu Saida on the economics of Star Trek. Manu Saida wrote the book Trekonomics and had this really great interview on uh, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy about what Trekonomics means to him. So we're talking about, you know, the future society in which money doesn't exist anymore. And he made a couple really interesting points that I totally have to share with you all. And then I highly encourage you to go listen to this episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, which I will be checking out more of because I really enjoyed this so much. Um, he talked about how in the original series, there actually was money. They mentioned something called Federation Credits in the Trouble with Tribbles episode. And it totally sparked this memory in me. When I, uh, when I first moved to Seattle, I watched through all of the original series for the first time. Of course, I'd seen Next Generation dozens of times. Uh, certain episodes, I can't even count how many times I've seen them, so many. But I'd never seen the original series all the way through. I'd seen a handful of episodes, and I always kind of had this fear of watching it because I didn't want to hate it. Uh, Star Trek is so precious to me, it would have been kind of a weird thing. I don't feel this way anymore, but I was worried it would kind of shatter a little bit of my belief in Star Trek if I went back and didn't like the original series. That's a very immature response to have, and it was based off of the fact that I hated the prequel so much that it shattered a lot of my love of Star Wars. But as I've gotten older and re-watching the prequels, re-watching the original trilogy, and then of course doing the sci-fi on trial about The Phantom Menace, it really helped me let go of that and realize that if you love something, love it for what it is, man. Just love that thing for what it is. Don't let anything else affect your opinion of it at all. And that goes for everything in life. If you love a person, but someone else doesn't think they're great, maybe your family doesn't like your girlfriend, who cares, man? Like, love that person for who they are. Love your family for who they are. Accept the fact that sometimes those things happen and move on. So at this point in my life, uh, I wouldn't have that fear. I wouldn't go back and watch that original series and be like, damn, if I don't like this, it's going to shatter my belief in Star Trek. That's gone now. And I, I don't know what it is that happened to me that kind of shifted that. But anyway, at this point in my life, I did have that fear. And Part of it, uh, part of watching the original series that bothered me was the fact that they did have the Federation credits. I remember them talking about this in the Trouble with Tribbles episode and being like, shit, they have money? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't work. What is this? Star Trek's all about not having money. Um, and it kind of bothered me. I mean, of course, I still loved the original series. Like, <laughs> the end of that story is I still really, really enjoyed it. And of course, there were episodes that were utter nonsense. But uh, the episodes that were good were just as good as anything in The Next Generation. It was thrilling to discover that. But listening to this Trekonomics podcast today really excited me because it remind, it really pointed out the fact that what I, one of the biggest things I love about Star Trek is the money-free society. Because I think that working for money is bullshit. I think it's the fucking stupidest waste of our goddamn time. Um, I think that working for the betterment of yourself is exactly what every single person on this planet should be doing frustratingly, we have to make money to exist. We have to make money to get by. I, I'm, a, I'm a weird case because I have all these weird mold allergies. So I have to live in a, in a nice new place or I'll be sick all the time. So it's very important to me to have a job that will, um, first of all, be four days a week because I have, I mean, I have this health condition. I have fibromyalgia. If I work five days a week, I get really sick on my days off and I just can't do anything. So in order to do these podcasts and to do the sci-fi project, the music, the, the web series, everything, I need to work at, uh, at the most four days a week. I'd love to work less than that. Um, but on top of that, I have to be able to afford a nice apartment. So I'm in this catch 22 all the time of 
being forced into uh, an industry basically where I can get a rent discount uh, or you know make enough money at four days a week to support myself with the rent discount so that I can live in a nice new place. And of course, leasing has done that for me, which has been great. But, um, you know, I, I don't like to talk shit about my job, especially not on the podcast because my job does so much for me. But work has been rough recently. Work has been hard, man. It's been really bad recently. And it's it's a long story that I'm not going to go into. But man, like being there and having it be so rough consistently and just wishing I was uh, wishing that it wasn't this like necessity in my life. And I'm not like a person who's lazy, who doesn't want to work. I'm not that way at all. I want to work for the betterment of society. And to me, that's making art. I mean, that's what I'm going to be able to do. I'm not a scientist. I don't like go and feed children in, in starving countries. Like I, I, that's not who I am. It's not what I have in me. All things that I think are noble pursuits that are, um, you know, I'm not in politics, things that like don't interest me enough to, to allow me to devote my life to them, even though I think they're very interesting and very worthwhile because I have this creative impulse that, you know, Dan and I talked about it so much in the last episode, I have to make shit. And the thing that I have to make more than anything else is music. And the thing that inspires me more than anything else is science fiction. And the pressure release valve for all of that is these podcasts because I can't make music fast enough because it's such a long process. So I need to be, be able to release stuff constantly. Um, and then I want to act, I want to write, I want to do all these things. And I truly believe that what I do can add to the richness of humanity, to the richness of civilization by being a part of pop culture. I believe that, like to the core of my being. And whether or not that's true, don't, don't, I mean, if you think that's true, then, then great. If you don't think that's true, please don't tell me because it will, it will not be fun for me to hear. Uh, but man, so I've, I've had to find a way to, to work, ha make, a, make a decent living and do my creative passions on the side. I wish that I lived in a world where that wasn't necessary. I wish I lived in a world where uh, the fact that I put in the work to my creative passions could allow me to, you know, make a living at it. I wish that there was a career path. And I still believe that there is. I still believe that I'm on that path. And that's great. But I, I wish that I hadn't spent a solid decade of my life trying to figure out how to find that path at all. Because there is no... Uh, like you, you can't like graduate from um, podcasting school and get a nice job at a podcasting company and start out at like 30 grand a year. And then in 10 years, maybe you're making like a decent enough living to start a family. That doesn't exist, man. That doesn't exist. You got to do it yourself. You got to like start a podcast and then uh, do the long slog of building up um, a, a, a follower, a followership, a listenership. And it's hard, man. I've been doing it for a year now and I, I fucking love it. I love it so much. And every time I get any sense of feedback at all from any of you out there, it means so much to me, but it's hard. It's like, I constantly have to remind myself how much I love it. And I need that constant feedback from all y'all to keep going. And it, I'll tell you though, it's, it's been so incredibly rewarding. So rewarding. It's gotten me these, these hosting gigs. I got to host a Star Trek and a Star Wars party. Holy shit. How cool is that? Still not over that. Uh, so it's become this huge part of my life and I wouldn't give that up for the world. Wouldn't give it up for anything. Um, but, you know, Patreon, I'm making 11 bucks a month and that's wonderful. My my podcasting budget far exceeds anything that I'm, that I'm bringing back from it. I mean, just buying like a bottle of wine a month to have something to, to drink with my guests covers my podcasting budget basically. So of course it's all out of pocket for me. Um, and of course I do that gladly. But I wish I lived in a world where there was another way to go where there, you know, because like, I have a music degree, you know, like I, I've done the work and I'm not just talking about like every Joe Schmo off the street who wants to be in a band and make it. Cause of course I'm one of those guys, but I, I'm more than that. Um, 
Yeah, I'm more than that. Damn it, I'm more than that. Because I've been, I've been doing it, man. I've been doing it for real. And I, I, uh, if I lived in the Star Trek world, that would be it. Like that's what I would do. And and I, I would be able to get by with that. I'd be accepted because that's what I want and because I have that passion. And people would recognize that and accept me for it and wouldn't judge me for it. And I'd be able to follow those dreams and those passions. Um, so how do we get there? So that's the interesting thing for me is how do we get there? And this podcast about Trekonomics uh, with, with this guy who wrote the book, uh, Manu Saida, talked a lot about that. I mean, he talks a lot about how the Star Trek world got there and, and how do we get there. And I don't want to take all of his words for himself because he did such a good job. So go listen to it yourself. But to bring this back around to what I was talking about, um, he really pointed out the fact that this came from the next generation. It did not come from the original series. And it was uh, in the, the money-hungry 80s, at the end of the 80s when this came out, where it became a societal... Uh, goal to be rich, really, truly rich, where where pushing yourself to make as much money as possible became sort of in fashion. It became the thing that was sort of cool to do. And God, it disgusts me. It grosses me out so much. I mean, you know, you hear me talking about Patreon all the time, but I'm looking to make just enough to get by so that I don't have to um, have this day job. I, I'm talking about like making enough per year to support myself and hopefully support a family someday because I'd really love to have a family. I'm not talking about like trying to make billions and billions just so that I feel like I have more power and more control because I feel like that is a big part of why people try to make money is for power. Uh, and I, that kind of grosses me out in, in a really big way. Um, yeah, and that's something that, you know, I, 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 I try to not talk too much about like my political or or uh, religious beliefs on the show because I'm so open to all people having their own political or religious beliefs. But having money be a driving force in your life, that's something that I'm taking a stand against that I think that's gross. Um, man, because like I, I, could, I could work a lot more than I do at a job that I don't like and make a hell of a lot more money because I'm, I'm a good worker, man. Like I, I get a job and I really work my ass off to try to do a good job. And that means a lot to me. It means a lot to me to work for a company that I believe in and when I feel like I don't have that, I feel gross. I feel sick. Um, it just feels wrong to me on this really base level to be working only for money. And there's days at work where I feel like, you know, like I'm working at that job so that I can do my creative passions. That's why I'm doing it. And there's days where I feel like I'm just there for the money and I feel gross about it. But that's not why I'm there. You know, it's not why I'm there. And that's something that I really have to keep reminding myself all the time because sometimes I feel gross having a job that I, uh, that I go to all the time and spend so much time at. And it's not what human beings are designed to do. Like human beings are designed to, to create. We are creators. That's what we are. We make. That, tell, me, tell me anything you've ever done in your life that felt better than being a creator and making something. Maybe it was uh, having children. Maybe it was making a uh, painting. Um, maybe it was photography. Uh, anything where that creative spirit comes through you for even just a second. Like remember Jason on the Dead Drift podcast a couple episodes back talking about how he's not a creative person, but he loves to be a part of these creative things. But he is a creative person because he has kids and like he's, a, he's acting in something. He's, he's doing these creative things and he's doing it because it feels good. And it, you, you're contributing. You're doing something. Like that to me is, is contributing. You're making something. Maybe you're looking for the, the cure for cancer. Holy shit. What an incredible thing to do. And not necessarily something that you would consider creative, but you are creating something. You are making something that will help the future of humanity. Uh, I dated someone once who was working on the Human Genome Project, trying to come up with the, the way to map the human genome as fast as possible. That was what her company was doing. And 
that's fucking worthwhile, guys. That's so cool. Like science, there's so much creation in science and there's so much beauty in all of that. And that's what we are as people. We're creators. We make. And like that's that's what attracts us to pop culture is because there's other people out there who are makers and you want to see what they're doing because it inspires you to do what you're doing. Um, and I think this is also, also part of why people uh, feel like creation when they go out into nature. And I think maybe this is where God comes from. Yeah, I feel bad saying this because I'm not a religious person. I do believe I'm very spiritual, which I'll talk about later in the episode when I talk about my dad because my a lot of my spirituality comes from my dad. But I'm not a religious person. Um, I, I feel like everyone needs a way to connect to the world because they feel the creation all around us. And I think uh, that, and that's powerful, man. It's really powerful. And for me, just looking at it through a scientific perspective just awes me. And that's wonderful. And that's what I need. And I have this sense of being connected to the universe through music that, uh, that is just vital to me as a person. If I didn't have that, maybe, maybe I would be a religious person. I don't know. I mean, maybe if I didn't feel the spiritual connection, this sort of religious experience from playing music, I would look to religion to have that. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I definitely respect so many of the religions out there. There's there's a few that I think are definitely detrimental to our society as a whole. But there, Or even, like, I respect individual parts of some religions and not other parts of others. I was a religious studies minor in school. I've done a lot of thinking about this. Um, but anyway, people need to feel in touch with creation. And I think that uh, when you make stuff yourself or when you're out in nature, you feel that sort of... Uh, like the touch of God around you or or the the beauty of science around you that's all creation and like that's what really touches us deep down inside um, and I, I think that that's like at the soul of who we are as a people and as a society and as a human race and I'm really just coming to this conclusion right now as I'm talking to you so I'm glad the mic was rolling because man I'm getting really carried away I totally forgot what I was talking about I was talking about trekonomics I was talking about how uh, okay backing up so <laughs> so I was so excited to find out that the whole idea of like the moneyless future in Star Trek came from the next generation from listening to this podcast today because it just reaffirms my belief that goddamn it's an important show. My favorite show. Of course, I love it so much. I think it's the best show ever made, but I know that that's biased because I love it so goddamn much. And I'm also just happy to find out that it was this big part of Star Trek that everyone talks about when they talk about Star Trek. You always talk about um, like this idealistic utopian society in which uh, all people get along and all needs are met and money doesn't exist. Mm, I love that shit. And that came from my show, from my Star Trek, my next generation. So listen to that podcast. You'll you'll get a kick out of it. We got new Star Trek coming up in 2017. Uh, since we talked about it last, just a couple more details have been revealed. It looks like it's going to be uh, an anthology show. It's going to be run by Brian Fuller. He's going to be the showrunner. And then, of course, uh, already mentioned on the show before, but uh, the man behind Wrath of Khan and Star Trek VI, Nicholas Meyer, is going to be working on the show as well. That's super exciting. So Brian Fuller, as the showrunner, let's just take a look at who this guy is. Because um, he's, we're, you know... He's our new Rick Berman. He's the, our new JJ. He's the guy that the, the reins of Star Trek will be handed to. He's best known for creating television series like Dead Like Me, Wonderfalls, Pushing Daisies, and Hannibal. I've never seen any of those shows, but I hear that Hannibal is quite good. So that's exciting. So let me, if you guys watch any of those, let me know. I'm just curious. I really want to know if we're uh, in good hands here with this guy, Brian Fuller, because I'm not really familiar with much of anything that he's worked on. But something interesting on Wikipedia uh, there's something called the Fullerverse, which is the fact that all of Fuller's series are implied to take place within the same universe. I love that kind of stuff. 
I love that kind of stuff. I love how like Fringe and Lost had some things that kind of overlapped. I love how The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad have some things that overlapped where you have the blue meth um, and Merle's bag. That's kind of interesting. So yeah, let me know, guys. Let me know. Brian Fuller, where should I start? What should I check out? Because I want to I wanna get to know this guy a little bit before I check out the new Star Trek show. Uh, so that's coming in 2017. I'm still I'm still totally on the fence about the fact that it's supposed to be an anthology show like True Detective or uh, American Horror Story, neither of which I've watched. But I mean, basically, an anthology show means that each season is a self-contained story and it could be completely different actors uh, in the next season or even like the same actors playing different parts. That would really upset me. That That's the one thing I'm just dead against if they have the same actors playing different parts in the Star Trek universe. Doesn't work for me just because uh, the richness of the Star Trek universe is so important to me. I mean... And that would that would take me out. That would make it seem less real. And sure, you have guys like Jeffrey Combs who play like Brunt and Shran and Wayun, and they show up over and over in different makeup, so you can't really tell who they are. And uh, I mean, he's an incredible actor, so he totally pulls it off. But that's I like the fact that that's a novelty. Uh, I mean, you know, JG Hertzler does that with uh, you know um, Martok and whoever else he played. I know he played a couple other parts, uh, or even Aaron Eisenberg who played uh, Nog, and then he played that uh, that kid in that Voyager episode. So yes, there's precedent for that. But can you imagine like an entire crew, like the main crew? Let's say it's like seven or eight people playing different characters the next season in a different situation. That would be alienating. <laughs> that was a good pun. Uh, alienating in a bad way. So. That I'm not into. That would take me out of the reality of the world, and I love just throwing myself into the reality of Star Trek. I can imagine myself getting on board with them doing a different story each season. Um, that that could be something that I'd be okay with. Uh, I w- I've always had the idea that it'd be fun to do a Starfleet medical show. I don't remember if I've talked about this on the show or not, but I did talk about this in my interview for the Star Trek exhibit Um I, I forgot to talk about this on my episode where I talked about the opening party for Star Trek. So uh, about a year back, the, when I met Brooks, Brooks Peck, who was on my, my show a couple episodes back, uh, I went into EMP and I got to be interviews about, interviewed about my Star Trek love. And then that was part of a audio exhibit that is uh, on display right now at the Experience Music Project. And there was two or three sound bites that they used from my interview that got in there. One of them was about the future of Star Trek and where do fans want it to go. And there's a bit about me talking about how cool I thought it'd be to have a Starfleet medical show where it's kind of like house. Um, I, I always, I, I always thought about this when Gates McFadden left the show for season two of next generation, she was off at Starfleet medical for a year. What did she experience? Like what sort of crazy alien viruses came in all the time? Of course, then you probably have a show where every episode is shades of gray, <laughs> which is the season finale of season two of next generation where it's a flashback episode. Cause Riker got bit by this angry plant or he got stung by it. And then he's, you know, dying of this weird alien plague. But I thought it'd be fun to kind of do something like deep space nine where everything's coming to you. But what if everyone's coming to you? Cause they have these crazy fucking viruses and you have to figure out how to fix it. It could be, it's this opportunity to be so creative and kind of show the disgusting nature of the universe and like what's out there. Um, so if you're doing an anthology show, you have the opportunity to take these risks. I'm talking myself into it now. Because uh, like Deep Space Nine was such a risk where you sit still for the whole show. I mean, of course, they got the Defiant. They got the Dominion War. They get out there and they do a bunch of shit later on. But the premise of the show at first was like, let them come to us and see what happens. And I'm really excited by the different premises like that. Of course, like Voyager, the different premise was like, let's throw them across the galaxy and make them get home. And I, I've mentioned this many times. I didn't feel like they really um, played that out the way they could have. So maybe if you're doing an anthology show and there's the stakes could be a lot higher because you know that the next season, everything's going to be gone away. All right, I'm in. I'm in. I talked myself into it. Now I'm pumped about it. This is great, guys. <laughs> 
Um, a little bit, a little bit more Star Trek, and then I got to move on to some other things here. Um, so back on the episode where Amy and Brooks were here talking about the Star Trek exhibit, Amy mentioned The Greatest Generation, which is a sci-fi podcast that her friends do, Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. I think she was friends with one of those guys. So they're going through and talking about every episode of The Next Generation. I randomly saw this like article on the internet about it, so I started listening to it, and then my dad actually sent me this uh, the same article like two weeks later. Um, and a lot of people have been asking me since Amy mentioned it, have you listened to The Greatest Generation? So the answer is yes. I have listened to the podcast. I've listened to all of season one of them talking through season one and then uh, like seven or eight of season two. And everyone keeps asking me what I think about it. So I thought I'd just say, well, here's what I think of the podcast. Uh, first of all, it's really fun. It's a lot of fun. It's two guys just shooting the shit about The Next Generation, which is my favorite show. And uh, and on like a surface level, it's just funny and fun and really cool. And I really enjoy it. There is a part of me that does not like it because they're really making fun of the show constantly. Like that's what they're doing is just making fun of the show. And in season one, it's a little rough because there's a lot to make fun of. Um, I don't mind making fun of the show if they balance it out by like kind of pointing out what they really like about it. And they do sometimes, but not all the time. And sometimes I find myself getting, for lack of a better word, a little bit butthurt because they're just like, oh, they made fun of my favorite thing. Um, there's a little bit of a vibe of being of like of nerd bashing on the show which is kind of funny like the the their kind of tagline is a star trek podcast about two guys who are a bit embarrassed to have a star trek podcast and that definitely comes through i mean they're definitely kind of shying away from just going full bore about their love and uh i i think that loving star trek is cool you know i really do like i um I'm not like the type of nerd to like stick my head under a rock and, and love what I love in silence. I'm the type of nerd to shout about it at the top of my lungs because I really think it's important for nerds to feel okay about loving what they love. I really feel that so strongly and I want everyone to feel that. And this show I feel like is a step backwards for that. And I feel like a total like idiot saying this on my own podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's important. I feel like such a stick in the mud for being like, oh guys, don't make fun of Star Trek so much. But uh, if you're going to do a Star Trek podcast because you love Star Trek, fucking tell me you love Star Trek, man. Like they say it sometimes, but uh, don't shy away from that. Be enthusiastic about the things that you love about the show and then make fun of it also mercilessly because it's funny. Uh, and that, I don't know. So I do have, I, I have that little bone of contention with it, but I have listened to a bunch of episodes. I mean, we're talking like, I've listened to like 30 episodes at this point. So I do, um, yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think. Check it out for yourself. I'm definitely not saying it by any means that I don't recommend the show. Uh, Cause I don't know. I don't know if I recommend it or not, but I've listened to a lot of it and maybe you should too. Um, yeah, so that's what, that's what I think about that. Uh, moving on from Star Trek, I just finished season three of Doctor Who, Doctor Who, uh, yesterday, and God damn, was it good. So I'm gonna get a little spoilery here for Doctor Who, so if you, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, then you may want to skip ahead. I gotta talk about The Walking Dead, and I gotta talk about my dad for Father's Day still, so, um, so you can skip forward to that stuff. Uh, but Doctor Who, okay, let's talk about Martha Jones for a second. Martha Jones is a companion in season three. Uh, Rose Tyler was the companion in seasons one and two. So Rose Tyler was the bridge between two people playing the doctor, uh, David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston. Uh, David Tennant being by far the more charming and well-loved doctor. And, uh, you know, he definitely had a leg up because the rebooted show had already been on for a year and they went in a very different direction with David Tennant than they did with the first doctor that they had on the rebooted show. So uh, maybe, maybe not... Uh, for completely fair reasons, but he he did so much better, in my opinion. I mean, uh, Christopher Eccleston was really starting to, to nail it by the end of season one, and I was very sad to see him go, but I didn't really like him at first, and I think that maybe that had a lot to do with the writing. 
Uh, I don't think they set up the Doctor to be really approachable in the beginning of season one of the rebooted version of the Doctor Who-verse. But, god damn, season two was awesome. I mean, definitely season one got awesome by the end, especially because of Captain Jack. Holy shit. Jack Hartness is awesome. Uh, just a fun, wonderful character who's pansexual in a way that I super get behind. Uh, it was really, really into. Um, and I was devastated to see him leave the show. So then we get to season two. We have David Tennant come in. His whole arc with Rose Tyler was fantastic and wonderful. And actually, Audrey and I recorded a podcast about this because uh, she's eventually going to be releasing her own podcast. So hopefully you'll get to hear a lot more of my thoughts on that. Uh, I'm going to wait to find out before I talk too much more in detail about that. But then we get to season three. Uh, we lose Rose under... This is dev devastating circumstances. Oh, my God. That was like the saddest thing I've ever seen. Uh, and then we get to season three, and then the doctor is devastated about not having Rose around. And he is judging Martha Jones against Rose Tyler the whole time. And it really puts Martha Jones at a disadvantage. Um, and I really liked Martha a lot. I think she's really cool. I... I, I just finished the season, so now I know I'm going to get someone new for the next season for The Voyage of the Damned. That's what I have next, the Christmas episode. I don't know who the next companion is going to be. Uh, I know that Catherine Tate comes back after that, but I don't know if she's in this next episode or not. But anyway, um, I, I always felt like they didn't really do justice to Martha uh, as a character until the very end. And it really wrapped it up in a way that I really loved, where she finally kind of became the badass warrior woman that we all wanted her to be the whole time. She found it in herself, and that's when she has to leave the Doctor. And that really resonated with me. I really loved it. So I, I really uh, dug the fact that they kind of held back on Martha the whole time just to get her to that point at the end. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get to see another season with her, because once she gets to that, to that point, how fascinating would it be to see the Doctor kind of raise his estimation of her over time? But I do see that they kind of set themselves up in a position where she was never going to be to the Doctor what Rose was, so let's move on. Let's try something else because you put yourself in that box, writers, and you can't get out of it. Uh, to get out of it would take years of, of character development. Uh, so, so I got it. I got the fact that they kind of moved on from that at that point. Uh, the Master was such an interesting character, such an interesting foil to the Doctor because he was so similar. Uh, once he got his memories back and became like the younger version of himself, uh, he, he was very charismatic in the way that the Doctor is, but like the evil version of the Doctor. And a whole bunch of mumbo-jumbo happened in the last couple of episodes, like the, the CG version of like the Doctor that looked like Yoda. So strange. Uh, that, that kind of stuff is like, it was okay. But what I loved was the fact that th th it was really about loneliness. And this really struck home to me, the fact that the whole show of Doctor Who is really about loneliness, especially this rebooted version, because I don't know anything about the older stuff. Um, it's about a person who's the last of his kind trying to find a way to exist and knowing that he can never truly be a uh, feel companionship, which is interesting because he always has a companion, but he doesn't necessarily feel companionship. And Rose Tyler seems to have been the first person to really make him feel like he wasn't alone in a really long time. And then Martha couldn't fill that hole. She couldn't make him feel like he wasn't alone. Um, the episode where he made himself human and then went, because they were trapped back in time, uh, the family blood stuff, I loved it so much, where he becomes human and falls in love with this human woman because he doesn't remember that he's the doctor. And Martha gets jealous. Uh, and, and you get this sense that like he has to make the decision to become the doctor again, but he doesn't want to because he knows that the doctor is alone and he, he desperately doesn't want to be that. Uh, it, a brilliant, brilliant episode, so beautifully written. Uh, and 
yeah, again, it's kind of showing like this season in particular is just all about loneliness and just being so alone, being alone in a way that science only science fiction can show you where you're just devastatingly alone because no one else is like you. No one else can experience what you've experienced. And that's it. And you're just going to have to keep on going because what's the other option is to, to stop being. And uh, I think the doctor's centuries away from making that decision, if ever. Speaking of being centuries away, the other thing about this episode, uh, the last episode that really, really, really stuck with me, big, big, massive spoiler. This is my big spoiler moment. So this is the thing that if you haven't seen the last episode of season three of Doctor Who, please skip ahead because I love this spoiler so much. I love this moment so much. This is one of my favorite reveals that I've seen on TV. Uh, so you got the face of Bo, who's been around since the beginning of the rebooted version, which is just like a big giant head who in season three, they've encountered uh, the face of Bo a couple times at this point and basically says um, old friend as if the doctor knew the face of Bo before and uh, the face of Bo dies at the end of that episode. And it dies on this cliffhanger of not really knowing who or what he was. But then in the last episode of season three, um, Jack Hartness, as he's running off to go back to Torchwood because he's got his own spinoff show, he makes mention of the fact that when he was a young, uh, young boy, he was very attractive and a model. They used to call him the face of Bo because he was from this, this town. I forgot the name, Bo something. Uh, and then Martha and the doctor just look at each other with wide eyes and like, oh my God, Jack Hartness is the face of Bo. Because Jack had just been saying how he doesn't know what will happen to him because he's going to live forever at this point due to some stuff that happened with Rose in season one uh, when she brought him back, when she looked in the eye of the heart of the TARDIS. So he's going to live forever. And uh, he doesn't know what's going to happen to him over time like because he's aging still. So what happens if you live forever and you age? Uh, eventually you turn into a giant head apparently with huge spiky hair with bulbs coming out of the end of them. Um, so tying that back together, because the face of Bo seems to be this really wise, mystical uh, being of the universe, this really special thing that the doctor doesn't even understand, but knows is important to find out later that that's what Jack becomes was wonderful. Such a cool moment. And I just got chills all over my body when I saw that. And I was like watching this episode and I was kind of like sad over the events that had happened because the doctor in his quest to avoid loneliness was was really trying to to keep the master alive like wanted to turn the master even if he has to just keep the master in a cage um to have another time lord that still existed uh, that meant so much to him and then he just lost that so you're very sad and then all of, all of a sudden you find out that jack hartness is eventually gonna be the face of Bo. and he's like holy shit that's so cool uh, so brilliant writing, um, a wonderful thing. I feel like they probably figured that out at the beginning of season three and they didn't necessarily know it in season one when the face of Bo first showed up because I read online that they overdubbed um, the the line where the face of Bo calls the doctor old friend. They overdubbed that after the fact. So I think it was probably a stroke of inspiration that the, the writers had and put that in. But it works perfectly. It's one of those things where it just ties the world together in this way that's just so wonderful. And that's something about Doctor Who that I love so much now that I'm really, really into the show is that they pick these moments to kind of come back to at different times. Like that episode Blink, which blew my mind. Blink was incredible, where you have those statues trying to kill you. If you close your eyes, the statues come after you. At the end of the episode, uh, Martha and the Doctor are like running away on some other adventure that they're having. And then um, they uh, run into the, the protagonist of this episode, Blink, because all of it is seen from her point of view. And she realizes at that point that she set the whole events of the episode in motion when she met the Doctor. It's like in, in her future, but the Doctor's past. And they kind of meet each other in that moment. And then they're their events together split off in time from there. That kind of writing just blows my mind. I love it so much. I love time travel shit. Uh, Doctor Who, 
making that shit work. I also got caught up on The Walking Dead. So now I've seen it all. And the first uh, two seasons of Walking Dead, I was like, this is great. I love it. It's cool. I'm going to keep going. Season three of Walking Dead was like, holy shit. This is as good as anything that I've ever seen on TV. It right up there with like season one of Lost, uh, as far as being just like intense and wonderful and well written the whole way through. I love season four when they're all out in the woods, um, like trying to find each other again on the road to Terminus. And then I love season five where they get split up a little bit again. You got the stuff at the hospital. You got the stuff where they're uh, on the road to Alexandria and then trying to kind of fit in with those people. And I, yeah, I'm going to be very spoiler heavy about Walking Dead here. So season six of Walking Dead uh, perplexed me a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. So I definitely still loved it. And I still watched it all and enjoyed the shit out of it. But what I love about The Walking Dead is the idea that you have these characters in these extreme situations who are still maintaining their humanity. That's what I really kind of latched onto about the show. Uh, and I, I feel like really embodied in Herschel, uh, the person who's really kind of trying to keep Rick in line, trying to keep Rick from turning into this bad person that everyone else around them is becoming. Um, I'm not interested in a show in which everyone is bad. That doesn't interest me. Because if you're trying to say that, like, in, in the apocalypse, everyone becomes bad, I don't buy it. I just don't believe it. It doesn't work for me. And we have all these characters who, in season six, become, like, straight up, like, murderers. Like, sneaking into people's homes and murdering them in their sleep. And making really poor decisions based off of ego. Like, Rick deciding that they could just go kill all the saviors to, to like, get half of the stuff at Hilltop. It's such an egotistical decision to make. And didn't really seem to fit with his character for me. He's kind of... Or, or maybe he's just changing. He's becoming this more egotistical person as he uh, kind of gets control over the world around him. And, you know, I do buy that. I do buy that. Because I, I love Survivor. I watch a lot of Survivor. And everybody fails in Survivor when they get cocky. And that's totally what happened in season six is Rick got cocky and he led them all into a bad situation. But the last episode, when they're like driving on the road and they keep getting stopped by the saviors at different points and they're still trying to get to Hilltop, it's like, Rick, you fucked up. Like you, you should know that this, this has gone wrong and you're not going to get it back. Like there's too many of them. They've got the drop on you. Go home, you know, get, get back home, get Maggie home. Cause you're not getting to Hilltop at this point. Uh, the, the whole idea of, of Rick thinking that he could run this world that way just seems so dumb to me because Rick is a smart guy and he's seen enough to know that you shouldn't assume anything about anything out in this new world. I just, I get so bothered by assumptions. I get bothered by people assuming that they know anything about anything. I mean, I, I feel like I know, um, I, I don't feel like I know what my place in the universe is, right? Like, I feel like I can have an idea about it at any given moment, but that it could change at any time. That's why I love science so much is because science is always ready to throw out what you have and bring in something new when you have new information. So people that tell me um, I know what I am and I know who, where I am in the universe and I know why the universe exists and I know what, how creation happened for sure. How? How do you know that? Like, don't tell me it's because it's written in a book. Don't tell me that. Because... Uh, that's not a good reason to know anything. Like I, I know that I love my dog beca because I've had years with my dog where like our relationship has been tested, you know, and that's a silly example, but, or like when you date someone for long enough to know that you're in love because your relationship has been tested, but even that can change, you know, anything can change at any moment. Um, so to assume that, you know, how things work really bothers me. I always try to approach every situation with, well, I'd like to figure this out. Uh, but I probably am not going to be able to in its entirety, but let me see how close I can get. That's how I look at things. So seeing a character that I really, really, really like on a show, not just a character, but like all of the characters, because they really all kind of walked into this together where um, 
all the characters in the last half of season six really start to make assumptions about what they're capable of because they've been through so much. The reason they've been through so much is because they didn't believe in shit like that. They didn't believe they were able to do these things. Um, they just tried their fucking hardest and tried to avoid dumb situations. That's why season three was so great is because they all walk in packs with their backs to each other. Uh, there's this huge change in all the body language after they've been on the road for a while, after the farm gets overtaken, before they get to the prison. They've been on the road for a long time together. Uh, and then they've all become like this perfect group of zombie killing machines. And I love that. I love watching that kind of stuff. I love watching people evolve in a logical way in a bizarre situation. Like that's great writing, great science fiction. I mean, of course, this is like a horror show, but there's definitely an element of science fiction to this show for sure, uh, which is what I'm talking about right now. Uh, so, oh my God, have I been talking for an hour? Is that real life? Jesus Christ. See, this is why I need a podcast, guys. I can talk to myself for over an hour. Anyway, so season six, the uh, cliffhanger at the end did almost nothing for me. I knew that the cliffhanger going into this was who does Negan kill. So I already knew that because it's been like all over the news. But it was, the, the last episode was long and I thought boring. Like I didn't feel any sense of tension. Watching people walk into a trap that you know is set as the viewer that the people in the show should have figured out. They have enough information to recognize that this is a trap. They should know what the fuck that they're doing at this point. And the fact that they were not dumb enough to figure out that the saviors were way bigger and more of a threat than they thought is crazy to me. For these people who are so careful, who stayed alive by being careful, how did they not know this? How did they not figure this out? And we don't even know the extent of that yet. They should have done some fucking recon, you know, like spread out through the whole area around um, Alexandria and figure out the lay of the land. They're not in Atlanta anymore. They don't know where they are. They don't understand like what's happening around where they are anymore. So just spread out a little bit. Go take a look. Come on, guys. Uh, is it weird about me as a person that I get this like into things or is that cool? I think it's cool. I think that makes me a passionate, interesting individual. Uh, but I just don't know. So it's Father's Day. Um, as promised, I want to talk a little bit about my, a little bit about my dad because I did this for Mother's Day. And this year, for for it's hard to find gifts for mothers and Father's Day. You know, uh, it's, it's hard to find gifts in general for anyone. So sometimes I like to think like, what can I do instead of a gift or or a gift that I can make or or something that I can do like I don't know what can I do that's different. And this year for me, it was I want to I want to make a podcast about my mom and my dad for Mother's and Father's Day as a gift to them to, uh, to not just say how I feel about them, but to have it on the record um, so that we can listen to it later. Because it meant a lot to me to have my parents on the show when they were visiting last year when The Force Awakens came out. I just listened to that episode again a couple days ago, which is not something I normally do. Um, I usually listen to them a couple times when I put them out and then I just leave them behind because I'm always looking forward. And it's hard as a podcaster, if you start going down that rabbit hole of like, what have I said, then you're fucked because you said so much. You got to be okay with the fact that uh, your opinion is going to change over time in the future. You're going to say some shit that was wrong in the past and move forward. Um, but I listened to that episode again. I'm like, this is special, man. This is cool to have this thing with my parents I get to listen to. So then that's what kind of inspired me to want to talk about my parents for uh, for Mother's Day and for Father's Day. So so we're here. We've arrived at Father's Day. Um, and uh, when I was a kid, I think the thing that my dad nurtured in me more than anything else, or the most, the most special thing that my dad nurtured in me was my sense of spirit. Uh, where my, my dad's a very spiritual guy. Both my parents are very spiritual. Not necessarily like a super religious family at all. I mean, we're Jewish. But uh, I never really spent much time in synagogue, maybe like once or twice a year when I was a kid. I spent a short time in Hebrew school because we were talking about maybe getting bar and bat mitzvahed, my sister and I, uh, but it didn't really pan out. It didn't feel like the right place to be. Uh, and I remember the moment that 
Hebrew school broke for me where I, I had this great professor and this great teacher, uh, and we were talking about God. And then I raised my hands and asked, where does God come from? Like an idiot, you know, a, a super valid question, right? Like that to me, that's what I wanted to know. Cause like, he's talking about, oh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about creation, the creation of the universe and how, um, like God created the universe. So then I'm thinking in my mind, well, if the universe has a beginning, then it must have a middle and an end. And for someone to create something, that person also must have a beginning, middle and end, right? So that's what I think in my mind. And of course, now I can think of an infinite possibilities in which that's not the case. But at the time, that's all I could think of. So I raised my hand. I said, where does God come from? And the teacher says, God was always there. And I said, I, I can't, I couldn't conceptualize that. I couldn't believe that. Like I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Uh, and my teacher got flustered and didn't have an answer for me and, and moved on. And that really upset me. I'm just like, wow, like you don't have, you're going to tell me like things that are true, but not be able to back them up or have reasons for them. Um, and it really bothered me. So I, I kind of told my parents like, this isn't working for me. And my sister said the same thing and we stopped going to Hebrew school. Um, that doesn't mean we're not Jewish. You know, like we're definitely Jewish. Jew Judaism is uh, people who are descendant of the land of Judea, which is, you know, where Israel is now. So like we are culturally Jewish. There's no way around that. You, you never like stop being uh, like French. If you're born in France, you're always going to be French. So I'm always going to be Jewish. And just because I'm not like a practicing Jew, I'm culturally Jewish. That's what it means to me to be Jewish. And, and that's important to me. That's a big part of my life. Very valuable to me. Um, but anyway, so when I would, my dad and I would get in these like big, long spiritual discussions when I was a kid. And, and it'd be really interesting stuff. I, I wish I could remember more specifically than I do now, but stuff about like, uh, you'd say why, and he would have an answer. Um, like, why do these people act this way? And he'd be able to say, because they feel this. Uh, and I think because, because he was such a spiritual person, he has a, a really good read on humans. And I think that I developed a good read on humans because of that. And not just that, but, um, just learning how to exist in a world where you don't know who you are or why you exist is a hard thing to do. And you need, I think you need a touch of something to get there. For some people, it's religion. For some, it's science. For me, it was spirituality when I was a kid. And I guess that just means like feeling my own connection to the greater universe in myself and, and accepting that that is something that's real to me. Whether or not it's real to anyone else doesn't matter to me. It's real to me. And that's something that I believe in. Um, and for some people, that's that's God. They put that they name that God. And sometimes I actually talk about it in that term myself. Like when I'm talking about God for myself, I'm talking about this thing inside of me that feels uh, bigger than what I am. And maybe is something that's inside of everyone else as well. And that we, when we come together, it amplifies. And these are things that I would talk about with my dad, where I kind of learn how to uh, put these things into words as close as possible through my conversations with him. Um, we'd have these amazing discussions. We'd stay up late at night. This was probably when I was in junior high because um, I had a teacher who was into this kind of stuff as well and would kind of put some ideas in my head and I'd come home and my dad and I would like hash them out at night and talk about like, what is the spirit? What is the soul? What is God? Uh, what is the world? And man, those are big questions. So I think about this now as an adult um, and of course I talked about this stuff with my mom as well, but my mom went to sleep earlier. So my dad and I would definitely, um, stay up a lot later and talk about it. So I just kind of, it became our thing. It became what we talk about. And it's really, it's really cool and really special. Um, and 
from time to time, we'll still have a talk like that now. And it's, it's always still very special to me and awesome. It's not the kind of thing you can like plan and force. It just kind of happens. And I think that me as a, as a young person being in this place where I was really feeling a little lost and trying to find my way, um, having someone like that to bounce off of is so valuable. So yeah, think about this now, think about, uh, raising kids and having answers to those questions, uh, that are answers that came from his experience, um, that were open-ended enough for me to apply them to my experience and not necessarily um, have like final answers. Because uh, I would get into uh, arguments in school with kids who were religious. Um, I'm going to talk very frankly about this. And I, uh, I just want everyone out there to know who's religious that I do respect you. And I don't want this to sound disrespectful at all because I've changed and grown so much. Um, but when I was a kid, I didn't have that much respect for people who were very religious. And this is a big thing that I had to get over when I got older. And the reason I had this when I was a kid was because I grew up Jewish in a Christian society and people made fun of me, you know, like people, uh, told me I was going to hell on a consistent basis. People told me that I was wrong on a consistent basis for existing. And that's fucked up guys. Like that's fucked up. And to hear that from a lot of people, when you're a kid, you start to think it's true. You know, like when enough people that are your peers, when you're like seven or eight years old are telling you, um, that you're, you're the basis of who you are is wrong because you're different from them. And to hear that from a majority of people, I mean, this is like the essence of, of, uh, prejudice, right? Like when, when your parents teach you, uh, people who are like that are different and wrong then you believe it because you're a kid and you're dumb because you haven't learned yet to think for yourself. So um, I feel like the difference between me and those other people was that my parents didn't do that. My parents um, didn't really tell me that anyone was necessarily wrong. Like they said, this is who you are. This is where you come from. I'm like, well, they tell me that that's wrong. And they would say, well, uh, that's what they've been taught, but that doesn't make it true. And that's very valuable to hear. Uh, so I would get in, in arguments with religious people. I remember one time I was having this really frustrating argument with this girl. I think her name was Jessica. I want to say it was a Jessica or a Natalie. Let's go, Jessica. So I was talking to this Jessica girl and she, I was just asking her, asking her what she believed about life and the universe and everything. And I had started to formulate some of my own ideas based off of um, my spiritual discussions with my parents, particularly with my dad, and also Star Trek. You know, like watching Star Trek and hearing these people talk all the time about how, um, like, the infinite possibilities and to accept everything and everyone. And she had finite answers to all these things that I had sort of, like, ideas to. And I finally asked her, do you believe in aliens? Um, cause that, that's like everything I asked her, she had an answer from the Bible for, and it was really pissing me off because I'm like, well, none of this is coming from you. I want to know what you think. I don't want to know what's in the Bible. I can go read the Bible. If I want to know what's in the Bible, I want to know what you think as a person. And if you tell me something that you've read in the Bible that you've extrapolated into your own life that works for you because of your specific experiences, fuck. Yeah. I'm all about it. I love that. I want to hear that. I want to hear that all day. And I've had discussions like that with religious people that were fascinating to me and wonderful. And I, I learned so much and had so much respect for them. But I, you know what it is? Blind faith. That's the thing that really bothers me. Blind faith in anything or anyone. Um, learn, learn what you're talking about. Question things. Come to terms with things. That's, that's what my parents taught me. That's what my dad taught me. So I asked her, do you believe in aliens? And her response to me, like her, her face went blank for a second. And I could tell that I'd hit something that wasn't in the Bible because um, she didn't have an answer right away. And then she looks at me and she says, I don't know. I have to go check. And it pissed me the fuck off. And that was the last time we talked about anything like this because her having to go check probably meant she had to go check with like her, her pastor or the Bible to see what it says in the Bible about whether or not she believes in aliens. That's fucked up. Like, what do you think? 
when you look up into the sky, what's your gut feeling? Do you believe that there's something out there or not? You know, and maybe the answer is, I don't know. That's fine. But don't tell me I have to go check because none of the thoughts in my head are my own. So I think that uh, one of the greatest gifts that my dad gave me, uh, of course, both my parents, but my dad, um, I think was very influential in this. He taught me to think for myself. He taught me to, uh, and spiritually, because my, my mom definitely taught me to think for myself as well. I feel so bad talking about one parent, not the other, because they're both such a huge part of my life and so um, influential on the way that I think. But uh, because it's Father's Day, I'm going to focus on my dad right now. My dad taught me to, to, to experience the world in a way that was unique to myself and to be okay with that through these discussions that we have about, about God and spirituality. And that's such an incredible gift. So, Dad, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, something else that I want to share about my dad. Uh, I talked about this when Ian was on the show the first time, like episode 19 or 20. Um, I do have a catalog of podcast episodes in my head. It's weird. So uh, we were talking about having this like special show that you share with your dad. And uh, I mentioned that my dad and I watched Sports Night together. Sports Night being the Aaron Sorkin comedy, the guy who wrote West Wing, who wrote Studio 60, who wrote Newsroom, uh, one of my favorite writers. I'm just so into Aaron Sorkin stuff. I know it's like kitschy sometimes and like hyper emotional sometimes, but it's poetry. It's like modern Shakespeare type dialogue. I say that knowing almost nothing about Shakespeare, besides the fact that he was awesome in Doctor Who. Um, but it, it just speaks to me, like really deeply, the the poetry, the musicality of the dialogue and the characterizations of everyone on the shows that he writes, particularly Sports Night. Uh, Sports Night was a special thing where we, we got it on DVD and then my, my mom and sister would go to sleep earlier and my dad and I would stay up and watch Sports Night, like two or three episodes a night. And we did this all the time. And then once I moved away... Uh, whenever I came back to visit, whenever everyone else went to sleep, we'd watch sports night. We'd have root beer floats and watch sports night. And that con tradition continues. Of course, I'm only down in San Diego a couple times a year now, so it's not anywhere near as often, but now we'll have like a scotch and watch sports night or something. And we just watch the show on repeat. We always try to remember where we were in the show so that next time we meet up, we can continue watching the show. And we've watched it several times all the way through because there's only two, two seasons. Um, but it's become more than just a show to, to me. It's become this special bond that I have with my dad because it's this thing that we are both equally, equally fascinated and entertained, um, entertained by. We both love it so much. And it's such a special thing to share. It's really cool um, to have something that we both kind of came to at the same time. It taught me, that taught me something about life as well. Cause like you want to share the thing that's, most precious to you with the people who are most precious to you, right? Like I want to date someone who is in love with Star Trek The Next Generation so we can watch it and then fuck. That's all I want. Uh, and that's real talk, guys. <laughs> but you know what's even more special is to meet with someone on something where it's not something that you'd expect to fall in love with. Um, and it's not something that you've had in your heart for a really long time, but you kind of meet together on it and it becomes something where your love of it is, is shared. Uh, and your growth of your love of it is also shared. So that's really, really special. Um, and I, I say that because when I, when I, my dad listened to the episode with Ian, where uh, Ian was talking about how like Star Trek was this thing he got to share with his dad. And I was saying how I was kind of jealous about that. Um, and that's like a very surface level emotion. Like my first instinct when Ian says he shares that with his dad, oh, I wish I could share that with my dad. Um, but I don't. I don't wish that because we have this thing sports night that we came to together that was more special because of that. Um, 
I love having Star Trek be this thing that's mine in my family. Like I'm the only one in my family who's just absolutely obsessed with Star Trek. Everyone else likes it and appreciates it. No one like bags on it or anything, but it's my thing, you know? Uh, and that's cool. I, I've built a life out of it being my thing. And it was interesting when I started doing the sci-fi project, I stopped writing songs about myself and started writing songs about like the universal experience of, um, of being a sci-fi fan or just the universal experience of being human in general through the lens of science fiction. Those songs I think are very powerful, like Cosmic Child. But it was something my family didn't really, uh, my mom and dad in particular, didn't really tune into at first. Um, or maybe even not still, I'm not really sure where we had a couple of discussions where they felt like it was further away from me as a person because it, I wasn't writing about myself anymore. Um, and it was a really weird, interesting, strange thing to hear from your parents because my parents were so insanely supportive that to hear them say that they weren't as wild about something that I was doing now as they were about what I was doing before uh, really took me aback. I was like, wow, am I doing the wrong thing? Um, but I listen to my old songs and I hear... Uh, a young man trying to find his way through music. And I don't connect to that anymore because I think I figured out, uh, I figured out at least a path to be on, you know, I question whether or not it's the right path all the time, but I'm on it. And I, and that path feels right to me for the time being. So uh, I almost, I literally almost said, I feel like I figured out who I am in complete contradiction to what I said an hour ago. Uh, but I don't, I feel like I figured out, a, a lot about myself that I really, really like that I'm trying to hold on to and move forward with on this path. Um, so I feel like the music that I'm writing now is a part of that and really guiding that path. And I'm working on this new song. I just came up with the concept. It's called Serenity. Of course, it's about Firefly, but it's about, it's about the feeling that Firefly gives me of having a sense of community and flying through the galaxy together which I, oh my God, when I watch Firefly, that's all I want is just to be on that ship and leave everything behind and be with these people that I love where they, I know they have my back. And it's the only people in the galaxy I'd want to be with. I had dreams about that where I'm on the ship and I like get to travel with these people. Uh, and that's so at the core of who I am as an individual is this need to group, this need to have community and uh, sci-fi gives me that. So when I'm singing about that, I'm singing about the core of me as a person. So for my parents to not hear that was really devastating for me at first. Uh, interesting, interesting thing to, to kind of push through because the last time my mom was here, she came to a band practice and she looked at me after. She's like, I, I think I get it. I think I get it now. I think maybe she just needed to see me do it or see me in it in real time. And my band is actually playing our first show very soon uh, for my sister's wedding, just coming up on July uh, 2nd. So in Portland, we're going to be playing on stage for the first time. I'm very special that it gets to be my sister's wedding. Also, we're going to play five songs. Really exciting. And my, oh man, the band, Chris and Naomi, we're just really, really gelling right now. It's becoming something quite magical. So I'm about to have this opportunity to present who I've become to my dad. And I'm really excited about that because uh, my mom got to see it, but my dad hasn't seen it yet. And me on stage playing my own music, I think might be more me than anything. Um, it might be more me in my own perfect moment than anything else that possibly exists in my life, especially if it's a good show. If it's a bad show, maybe not. But uh, yeah, so that's maybe, maybe the disconnect with my parents not really getting this music was not having been able to see me in it and understand how deep it goes for me. Um, because it's a lot, I, I could totally, I could totally see where they're coming from where like I'm singing literally just about myself all the time. And then I stopped very suddenly and I stopped right after I had this massive health crisis. And I think that worried my parents that maybe I was running away from myself. And I think maybe that would 
get, make them not as uh, ready to accept the music or want to uh, hear it, you know? Because um, that would be a frightening thing for a parent, I think, to see their own child run away from themselves. And I definitely think that that was true. I think I was kind of running away from myself, uh, but not musically. I think, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of other ways. But um, I don't know. I like to. I prefer to think of it as running back towards myself because I really lost myself for a while when I got sick. Uh, and then you know, coming up with a stage name and a new persona and a new project gave me a focus to really pull me out of that. So sure, there's an element of running away from that, but I I, I think. More than anything, it was a, a way of running towards something, uh, which I'm now living uh, by doing this project. Uh, every day I do something for the Sci-Fi Project, every day. And I, it, some days it's as little as just like going on Twitter and seeing what's up with people. That almost never happens. Well, that's all I do. I do that every day anyway. But uh, I, I, today I'm recording this podcast, um, like um, like scheduling stuff yesterday for uh, new podcasts that are coming up. We're going to do this, a couple of really awesome things that I don't want to tell you about yet because they'll have them be a surprise. Uh, scheduling like the web series, working on editing that, writing all this stuff, like getting new photo equipment. I just got all these great lights and I've been practicing taking photos recently um, so that like when we have a photo shoot for the sci-fi project, it'll, it'll look great. I had a costume fitting the other day for the next music video. Always something happening. And uh, I've really kind of, put myself in that position. And every once in a while I have to stop and say, Hey, this is great. I'm doing something all the time that I love and it's awesome. And, um, and I know 100% that my parents are proud of that and are, and, and love me for that. And uh, I know that my dad really likes the show. He really listens to the podcast a lot. Um, and I, I'm still not convinced that he's gotten the music yet where he's really, where it's spoken to him. Cause uh, something I really appreciate is that my dad listens to my old stuff a lot. Like he, he tells me all the time. He listens to night song all the time. It's my last album as Jesse Plack before I became Jesse Mercury. Um, and he tells me that he has that on in the, in the car from time to time. And that's amazing. I mean, it's super cool to hear that from a parent that they have your album on in rotation. Cause it stops being me. It becomes like music that they like. And that's, that's what I would want to hear. And I think that writing about myself makes it a lot harder for the world at large to have that experience with my music because they don't know me. For people who know me, me writing about myself can totally uh, work. But me writing about myself and then listening to it from an outside perspective, it might not grab you because who is this guy? Why do I care how many times he's gotten dumped? But uh, I mean, from an outside perspective, listening to someone sing about science fiction, that would grab me. That, that would be something that I'd be like, oh shit, I got to listen to that because I want to know what that's about. And um, I'm doing it in a way that's very, I'm doing it in a way that's very personal to me that uh, has really enriched my life. And now I feel like I'm getting even more and more personal with all these new songs. Like Cold Dead World is an incredibly personal song um, that I want to start working on right away because I'm almost done with Lightspeed. And and I also, I've also come to term with the, was terms with the fact that um, when I was younger, I definitely made music for my parents because they were like my biggest fans. So I would listen to what they told me they liked about what I was working on and then try to do more like that. And at this point, uh, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, I'm not customizing my musical output for my parents. I'm customizing it for me. And I mean, I always did it for myself, but I definitely think that like the, the, the feedback I get definitely steers me in one direction or another. And people like really reacting to Elliot or or uh, people really react to um, Asteroid Field when I play it for them. So that makes me want to write more songs about Star Wars, you know, because I want to connect. I just want to connect. And I'm in a point now where I'm trying to connect to people other than my parents. And it's mostly because I've moved away and they're not my constant audience all the time. I mean, they are as much as a lot of you are who are podcast listeners, but they're not like in front of me. I'm not getting that direct feedback. Like I go play shows 
Um, the things I can see it, I can feel it when something connects to someone. And those are the things that I'm going to take with me from that show. So moving away has really changed who I am as an artist, getting sick really changed who I am as an artist. So being able to be this new artist that I am and, and share that with my, with my dad coming up is something I'm really excited about. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what, and whether or not he ever loves the music isn't important to me. Uh, I mean, it'd be great, but what's important to me is that he, um, that my parents know that I'm happy. I'm doing something that I love and I hope that they can hear that in the music. At least that's, that's what I want to have happen. All right. Last thing. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to people who've been reviewing me on iTunes. I'm up to seven, five-star reviews on iTunes. And it's funny, like I listen to the greatest generation podcast and they're talking about having like tens of thousands of people listening to their show. Um, and I still feel like really lucky if I have like hundreds of people listen to my show and I'm totally, I'm, I'm getting to be okay with that because the people that listen to my show are wonderful and that makes all the difference in the world. So, um, getting these five star reviews, man, it really means a lot to me. Like when I look at the iTunes page and it says like five stars based off seven reviews, I really feel a lot more legitimate and that, that it's like not complete nonsense that I do this all the time, that there are people listening and that's so valuable to me. Um, a year ago, I would never be able to sit down and have an hour long discussion with no one. Well, I guess hour and a half at this point, hour long discussion with no one, because I know that you're listening and I'm talking to you because I know that you're there. And there's something magical about that. There's something so magically warm about that. Like I'm not the doctor. I'm not alone because I have you. I also have all the other people in my life, but uh, I have a special relationship with you. The person, the people who listen to this because, um, because you're there and you hear this. And that's it. That's it. I don't have to try to explain it more than that. But I also got a new, uh, so I have seven uh, five-star ratings and I also got a new customer review, which is like the thing where people write out stuff. Uh, it's from Wasteland Man, which it's got to be Evan. I know that that's Evan. This is 100% that that's Evan. So Evan, thank you for reviewing me. And I just got to read this because it makes me happy. I've been listening to sci-fi with Jesse Mercury since the single digits. To this day, it remains my favorite sci-fi genre podcast. Jesse has had some amazing guests, and to see this much quality in a podcast this young, I've listened to podcasts twice as old, without a tenth the sound, editing, or production quality as this one. Not only is Jesse an excellent host, but he's also an exceptional musician. He often ends his episodes with a new song he's working on. His music is sci-fi in theme and really quite remarkable. If you are a fan of all things sci-fi, Star Trek, Star Wars, synth pop, you need to subscribe to this podcast. I love it, and I bet you will too. I'm also sure that's Evan because I recognize his writing at this point. Um... So Evan, once again, you've gone out of your way to support me. And my God, dude, you do so much to support me. Uh, I never would have had the Dead Drift guys on the show and I had such a blast with them. So many people listen to this because of you. It happens over and over. Um, so I don't know how to say thank you besides just saying, good God, man, thank you. And I'm gonna keep doing it because of you, uh, because you inspire me. So thank you. And happy Father's Day to you as well because I know you're a dad and that's really special. Well, we made it. Uh, I have just been like brimming over with things that I needed to talk about. I never really expected to do episodes of the show without anyone here, but I had a great time. Um, I, I really feel great right now. I'm going to go make myself some food, take a little break, edit this, and throw it up today because it's Father's Day today, so I got to get it up today. So this will be up the day it was recorded because the internet is a beautiful place. And uh, man, it's been good. See you soon.